Hey, this is Mike Patterson, your host for Embrace Growth. This is a podcast dedicated to personal growth and empowered choices. Helping to create change and transformation in your life and the world. This week on the show, I interview Lewis, Eric, and Juan. All three men are veterans. Happy Veterans Day for those who have served. It's the week of Veterans Day. We're putting together a panel of three men that served our country, each from different branches of the military. We get to hear their stories about transitioning back from military life into civilian life, what that was like, and leave you guys with not only the stories of their struggle, but some information that might be able to help you with some transitioning for yourself or people that you know and supporting them. Stick around. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Absolutely. Everyone, today, this is our Veterans Day podcast. It's actually coming out a few days before Veterans Day. I have Lewis and Juan and Eric, each from different branches of the military that are part of the panel here today. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves. We're going to start with Eric. Hey, Mike. Uh, good to be here again. Good to see you. Good to be on another episode of Embrace Growth. Uh, my name is Eric Treese, and I live in Forest Park, Illinois, which is just kind of right immediately west of Chicago, born and raised on the south side. I'm the dad of four daughters, ages three to 13. Have just celebrated 15 years of marriage. I am a life and leadership coach by profession. I'm a certified co-leader and leader trainer in the Mankind Project, which is how Mike and Juan and I know each other. I'm also uh, an initiator of men. My mission is to uh, uh, create a safe and healthy world by leading consciously. Um, as far as my army Resume goes, I was enlisted. I enlisted. I actually shipped out two days after I turned eight, 18 in 1990 and did four years active duty. I was a paratrooper with the 101st Airborne, Airborne Infantry. I saw combat during Desert Shield and Desert Storm and um, got out in 1994 and didn't do any reserve uh, commitments or National Guard. Um, so I've been out for, you know, so it's hard to believe I actually enlisted 30 years ago, but that, uh, so and during that time I was combat infantry, expert infantry, airborne, air assault, liberation of Kuwait, got a couple other medals, um, but also struggled with some stuff as well, but ultimately was really proud of my, my military service. It's good to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks for that introduction, and we'll get into your story here in a minute. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Lewis, go ahead. Introduce yourself to the listeners. What's going on, gentlemen? Pleasure to be here. Very honored. Um, yes, I was a United States Marine from 02 to 07. Um, served two tours in the Anabar Providence uh, with 2nd LAR. We were a mobilized infantry unit. I don't know what city I did not go to in Iraq. Um, and at the present moment, it's I'm exactly on the same page with Eric. Is I'm looking to improve this world as a society of building conscious men. Because having conscious masculine men as the foundation of building society is absolutely important to me. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. Thanks for being here. And Juan, welcome to the show. Go ahead and introduce yourself. 
Thanks, brother. Uh, Juan Carlos Arango. I am from uh, Harwood Heights, which is just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Um, I am the father of three beautiful daughters, 18, six, and six-month-old. I was in the United States Air Force in the year 2000. I was about 25 days after my 18th birthday, just after graduating from, from high school. Uh, I served a little under two years. And uh, I was, my job was a personnelist. I had an office job. I was a right-hand man to my commander. Uh, stationed Davis-Mothan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona. And I'm just happy to be here. Uh, I currently am a social worker in the city of Chicago. I work for a program called the BAM program, the Becoming a Man program, where I mentor uh, our most at-risk youth in the city of Chicago. Uh, by modeling six core values, integrity, accountability, self-determination, positive anger expression, visionary goal setting, and respect for womenhood, um, which align with uh, my three core values that were instilled in me in the United States Air Force, integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all I do. And so uh, proud to be here, proud to be here with you men, and ready to get this going. Thanks, Juan. We're getting it going, man. I'm really glad that that all three of you can be here. My name is Mike Patterson. I'm your host here at Embrace Growth. I did not serve in the military. I have sat in some uh, veteran circles and heard some stories. Uh, feel a little underqualified to be the host of the show today. And at the same time, the authority that I bring is uh, decades of personal growth work and um, working with individuals and groups as a life coach. Uh, I do have some qualifications in that. And today what we're talking about is the idea of transitioning back to civilian life from the military. We're going to take a look at what it's like to re-engage with feelings, to regain civilian identity, and to hopefully step back into civilian life with a personal mission because while in the military, the mission was clear and was given to these men. So that's what we're talking about here today. So let's just kind of dive in, and I'm going to open the floor to to you three panel members. What's it like to transition back into civilian life? And please share some stories uh, about what that's like for you. Um, I can I can jump in. I can kind of kick us off, and even though I know Lewis kind of. I, th I think got out ETS mo more recently than Juan and I did. Um, you know, the, the, the image that just popped for me, Mike was going to the transition assistance office. And this was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky where the 101st airborne was. And, and I had begun my process, you know, a couple of weeks before that. And, um, there was like lots of different offices and stations to go to and paperwork to do and, you know, kind of preparation. But I remember going to get my final paycheck and it was not much money, right? Cause, cause I had blown a lot of it and I had some money taken from me for rank and, you know, money and rank taken from me for some stuff I got into trouble for. And I remember the guy on the other side of the desk handing me the check and saying, Good luck, kid. And I was just like, shit. What the hell do I do next? I mean, what what now? Right. And I remember from there, you know, got out and, and just the loneliness I felt a couple of days later, you know, I had a couple of my buddies there who kind of escort, you know, drove me off the the base and we went to a bar and drank. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. I didn't really feel seen and it was really fucking lonely. Mm, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks, Eric. Louis Juan, what was your guys' experience like? Well, like I, like he said, uh, I got out a little bit later than you guys did. Um, you know, they had like a job fair. I already had a job lined up um, before I was getting out. But at the same time, too, it's like once you're, you know, you establish your position, you know, you're pretty much the top dog. You tell people what to do. Um, 
you lead you lead the way and when you get out and you get to your first job you're back to uh you know doing the shit work <laughs> and it's incredibly an ego blow to yourself of like wait 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 what you want me to do that i've been i was the guy telling you to do that and that was definitely the most difficult part for me thanks lewis Juan, what was uh, the initial transition back to civilian life? So my uh, my story is uh, a little bit different than both Eric and Lewis, and uh, uh, th- there's some some shame in having to tell my story, but um, I've I've done a lot of work around it, and so um, uh, and so I, I don't mind sharing my story. So I uh, I went in as a very young man um, in the year 2000. Uh, the reason I went into the military was because um, I I grew up with an absent father in my life. Uh, I got into some trouble growing up in, in the fact that I, I got into drugs and and doing things that I I probably shouldn't ha- shouldn't have done. Um, and uh, and and the fact that uh, I didn't have the role models that I needed in my life. Uh, that got me into trouble was kind of the reasoning why I felt that I needed to go into the military. Uh, I needed structure. I needed support. I needed somebody that was going to guide me in the right direction. Um, and so I chose to go into the military my junior year in high school after um, I was living at a, a friend's house uh, on a couch. And uh, they went to, uh, they went to, I remember they went to a share concert and they left me and a buddy in the house to uh, to kind of do some remodeling in the house and doing some painting. And, and so I, uh, I, uh, I, we, we started doing that and then it, uh, I got some phone calls and then it was like, Hey, let's throw a party. And I ended up throwing a party and, um, and then woke up the next morning as they were knocking on the door to come into the, or they were coming into the house and they saw about eight or nine guys passed out on the floor in their house. And so, uh, I remember I was so, there was so much shame that I let the family down that, I went to the recruiting office the next morning and signed up to the United States Air Force. Um, the reason I say say all that is because you know I was an addict going into the into uh, the military, and uh, I thought that that was what was going to let me get out of my addiction. Um, unfortunately, I didn't, um, and I I uh, was away from home. Uh, I was in Arizona. Uh, my family was back in Chicago. I was alone. I was scared. Um, I ended up getting back into some trouble. Uh, I ended up smoking some pot in, in the Air Force. Uh, I got caught with it. Um, and so I got a general under honorable conditions discharge. And so for me, my transition back was a forced transition. It was uh, a scary transition because um, there was a lot of shame. Uh, I felt like I was doing something honorable by joining the military and, and trying to do better for myself. Um, and I, and I believe that, uh, it, it did a lot for me for the time that I was in, uh, the fact that, uh, I still believe in the three core values of integrity for service before self and excellence and all we do. I believe that, um, I follow that through my mission that I live in, in today through the men's work that I'm a part of, um, which is to create a world of love and support by being an authentic leader and an agent for change. Um, and, and I, and I, and I believe that I do that by modeling what it is for young men, uh, in in the city of Chicago, that that are in risk, that uh, that struggle with you know very similar situations of either addiction or homelessness or um, lack of parenthood, lack of fathers, lack of role models, right? And and I believe that um, my experiences in my own transition of of me being uh, kind of forced out um, uh, are giving me the tools to be able to do that for the young men that I model that for today. So, um, so yeah. Thanks Juan. Thanks a lot. And, and I get that that's vulnerable to say your transition back was, was different than these other men. And what I'm curious about for all of you and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like two different parts to this process. There's one separating from the military, and then there's rejoining civilian life. Is is that correct? Am I saying that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
There's in, in the, the Mike, the first process is the military process of separation. The second process you referred to is it's an internal individual process that may have some support from the VA, but it's really about becoming a civilian again. Right. And that's up to me. And that's, that's what I'm curious about here and that I want the listeners, because I don't know what the percentage of my listeners are veterans. What I do know is that a good part of this population and definitely the listeners are going to know some veterans and for them to understand and empathize with what it's like to transition back out of the military. So you mentioned there might be some support through the VA. What kind of support did you have or did not have? That's the next question. We'll start with you, Eric. Um, Thank you. I am not exactly sure that I was aware of what was available to me once I left um, Fort Campbell. Um, and part of that was, you know, I, I mean, I, I had some experiences. I got into some trouble too, like Juan did. So I was carrying some shame. There was some stuff around, like, do I deserve to partake, you know, to even look in to see what's available to me? There was another part of me that was just so angry at the army that I just wanted to get out and really wanted kind of like a clean break. Um, there was some arrogance on my part. There was some fear on my part. Um, I don't know that I was acutely aware. And I think because of what I had done as a soldier, this is kind of to what Lewis's point, you know, I got trained to do a lot of really cool, high speed, low drag, cool ass shit. And I came out with a chip on my shoulder, like, you know, I don't really need help. Do I, I mean, I got this man. I, you know, I went through boot camp. you know, I went through combat. I can do anything. So what do I need help for? And I think that it was, it was obviously a little naive and, and then balance that out with kind of where I checked in around. There was also this loneliness and this fear. I mean, I, I missed my, my buddies. I missed having this daily structure and the routine. There was none of that. There wasn't anything in my life. The VA wasn't saying, Hey, here are your orders now for being a civilian. Here's what you got to do today. It was kind of like, Hey, Eric, go figure it out. And I wasn't so good at that, even though I was trying to convince myself that I was. Yeah, thanks. So having the day in, day out structure, now you're on your own and trying to figure it out. Yeah, and I was I was lost. I mean, I was didn't know what to do with all these feelings. I was the grief, the separate, the loss of my identity. I didn't know what to do with the feelings, so I could t- continue to numb them out. I had lost my friends. I had lost this fraternity and this brotherhood, unlike anything I had ever experienced. And I had no direction. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, I, I could really resonate with the, the feeling lost. And, and for me, it was definitely um, because I was in the United States Air Force and the Air Force actually has a, no, a zero tolerance policy with any type of drug use. Um, had I been in the Army and the Navy or the Marine Corps, I actually would have gotten a slap in my hand and taken some rank away from me. And I, I probably would have been put in some rehab and, and, and I would have been still in the military, which which honestly is what I wish I would have received. Right. But because it was a zero tolerance policy was, OK, you're out. Right. And, you know, th- there was no no support system. I, I didn't get any help from the VA. I didn't get any help from the Air Force. You know, they didn't ask me, hey, are you are, do you have an issue? Do you have a problem? Can can we support you in any way? It was up. Oh, you failed the test. OK, here you're you know, go go do your documentation so you can go do your exit paperwork. Right. And so for me, I, I really felt lost. Right. Not only am I as a at a 19 year old young man in my my away from home but now I'm I'm sitting with all the shame and not knowing how to deal with any of this shame not knowing how to deal with you know that I'm getting kicked out because of an addiction that I've had and uh, and unfortunately because of the not getting any support and not getting any any rehabilitation through either the military or any of the VA like I, I've been addicted for 20 years, right? I've had an addiction that's lasted me for so long that has affected me in a way that had I gotten the support that I needed as a young man, um, I, I, 
I, I think that my outcome would have been a lot different, right? And and the transition was a lot harder for me because it was like, all right, pack up all your shit and get into the car and now drive your car from Arizona back to Chicago and and deal with all of that on your own. And so for me, it I, I really felt lost. I really felt like I was alone and uh, that that nobody was there to support me. And um, and I thought that the Air Force sh- should have done a, a better job of of being able to support me as a young man um, in that transition, either through some support or um, yeah, just in in any way, shape or form. And they really didn't. So that, that really hurt me and affected me in my life. Yeah. Thanks Juan. Lewis, what were your feelings, thoughts about coming back? Well, as I was previously saying, it was, you were the top dog at one point and then you get back to being at the bottom of the, of the hill and you know looking up at that hill again and just like holy shit i just did five years i went through combat i got shot at i got blown up and now i'm the guy that's picking up the scraps it's that was it's the ego thing that's really messes with your head and you know i was fortunate myself um i had a house it was close to base it was only an hour that was one of the worst things i got out of the marine corps and I still had to deal with the Marine Corps traffic when I got out. <laughs> that was terrible. Anyways, um, no, I was I was fortunate. I had a supportive uh, person in my life. Um, I had my own house. But at the same time, too, it's... Especially, I not to knock down any of the branches. I think all the branches do their freaking great job. Um, but when you do get that title of Marine, and you go with people that don't understand... Or wish, kind of wish they had that title that you do, they kind of treat you shitty because, oh, well, I didn't have the guts to join the, the military, um, but now I'm your boss, so I'm going to treat you like shit because I didn't have the balls to do it myself. And that was one of the biggest, hardest transition for me is just, you know, from being a Marine to being, you know, slapped around. Like I was nothing because you chose to do what you did and I chose mine and now you're taking it out on me. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for that. Uh, okay. The next question that I want to ping on, so thanks for, for sharing your feelings, is the idea of regaining civilian identity. So for however long you were there, you had this identity, you were in the military and now to come back. And, and I, I know we've talked about it a little bit, especially with Lewis, like what it's like to come back and not have the identity of a Marine. How do you regain a different identity, a civilian identity? Eric. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was difficult. Um, you know, I was 20, I was, you know, 23 when I got out. So I was, um, I, you know, I still didn't know. I was just young. I didn't know who I was, you know, what my kind of lot in the world was going to be. Um, even where I was going to live, I remember I moved out to California. I was, I was dating a girl who was going to a college out there and I just moved to LA. I'm like, I'm not going home to Chicago. So moving out to LA. So that was part of it. I think was part of re, you know, finding my civilian identity meant not going home, not going back to Chicago, starting someplace fresh. And when I got there and I experienced some of what Lewis was talking about, you know, I was hanging out on a, it was a very liberal, uh, progressive set of schools, colleges there that were kind of shared a campus. And my girlfriend's friends, they were, you know, like they had heard the word that, Ooh, Eric's coming and he's come, you know, coming out of the army. And there was a lot of this kind of still side-eyed looks and, you know, just some mean comments about being an oil hunter and a mercenary, you know, and, you know, you know, baby killer and all that kind of shit. Um, but then at the same time, on the other side, you know, there was, I experienced what Lewis experienced with some, you know, people just projecting their stuff onto me around maybe their own, um, 
you know, dismayed that they hadn't joined or served or, or done some of the stuff that I did, but some, some people really loved it. Right. So they would take, they were like, they, as soon as they saw, saw army paratrooper, they were like, you're hired. We want you. So in that, that would kind of inflate me. And Mike, you know me well, if you know, think about me being inflated 25 years ago. Right. So I would swing into this inflated piece, but then there was this other piece where I don't feel like I belong. I don't, I'm not unsure of my identity. Nobody here gets me. They, and, and not only that, they're kind of looking at me cross-eyed and it was an uncomfortable place to be in. I didn't have the skills at the time to find the balance or to find my center. And so I, I felt like I would swing kind of from one end of the pendulum to the other a lot and it, it it kind of it was it was there was it was chaotic for me and i think it attracted a lot of chaos in my life as well mm. yeah thanks what about you other men what's it like to regain civilian identity or how difficult might that have been So for me, it was, it was definitely a challenge. Um, for me, uh, I, I, my struggle was, okay, well, I, I left my mom's house for a reason. I can't go back to my mom's house. Right. So it was, and so then it was, okay, so now how do I go back to the civilian world and explain to everybody that, uh, I was kicked out. And so I tried to find stories of what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. I found myself lying a lot and making up stories to people that I love so that, you know, I, I, so that I, in one way, shape or form, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hurt them. Right. Because I felt that I was going to by, you know, disappointing them or making them feel like I was a failure. Right. Because I was already carrying all of that baggage myself. So, um, the, the transition for me was difficult just finding, okay, where was I going to live and what was I going to do? And, how was I going to, you know, tell my jobs that I was only in the Air Force for a year and five months? And what was I going to, you know, what was I going to do next? And so, um, and then, and then being 19, right, as, as a 19 year old struggling to find my own identity and trying to figure out how do I deal with all this baggage that I'm carrying about the shame of, you know, dishonoring my country, right? I felt like I was honoring it by going into it. And then, you know, and then they didn't give me a chance and just kicked me out. And so for me, that the transition was, was difficult and, and finding where to go next. Um, but, you know, I, I was, I was, I've always been very resilient. Uh, I, I take that from my mom. Um, and um, I almost try to use it to my advantage of, okay, well, yeah, any job application that I did have, you know, I, I was proud to put on that on there that I was a United States Air Force. I made a story up after why I only did two years, but or less less than two years, but you know, they they understood it, right? They believed it and and I was okay with it because, you know, I was I was able to talk my way through it. You know, I I I talked to my 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 core values and and they're like, Oh yeah, I want a guy that's got integrity and oh yeah, it's service before self and excellence and all he does. Yeah, I want somebody that does that, right? So you know, I used it to my advantage. I used the, the, what I did learn from the United States Air Force, and I and I used that to kind of help project me or traject me to to, to getting a job and, and moving forward and wherever else that life led me to. Well, for me, it's uh, I remember being twelve years old, throwing coins into the wishing fountain at the at the mall, being like, "Please let me be in the military." Like, and at the time, you know. Um, I didn't know all the branches and what they were all about, but you know, when I finally got to the age of 18 years old, I was like, all right, I want to be a Marine. I want to do the hardest shit. It's the longest boot camp. You know, you see full metal jacket. Um, you're like, all right, I think I can handle it. Let's see what you got. Right. And to me, that was my identity. It was, I was going to be a Marine for the rest of my life. And then I got into the service. And, you know, it, it took, what, maybe a year to be like, holy shit, what the hell did I fucking sign up for? You know, and then that just, you're already in the, the service, so you're already starting to lose your identity. Like, this is what I was going to be for the rest of my life. And then when you get out, you're even more fucked up because it's just like, okay, that was supposed to be what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life. 
now I'm back to this, like I'm back to stage one. And it's, I think that's always an issue with just being a human being of being way too attached to a certain identity and not going with the flow. Yeah. Thanks, Lewis. And that's a nice segue into where we're going with this. Eric and I were talking earlier this week and Natalie Merchant from 10,000 Maniacs, I can't remember the name of the song, but she she says something along the lines of the military is great at making soldiers, but not so great at making men. As we go into this third question, this idea of a personal mission. So before we go into the personal mission, when you guys were in the military, the mission was clear. This is your assignment. This is what you're doing. You're there to follow orders. You've gone through boot camp or whatever it was to become a soldier. So before we talk about what it's like to get out of the military, transaction back and come up with a personal mission and step back into being a civilian, let's actually talk about the missions and some of the things that you learned as a soldier in the military. Who wants to start with that one? Um, I could go. Okay, Eric. Special, um, my general orders. I, I still remember these. Like, I will guard everything within, within the limits of my post, and I will quit my post only properly relieved. I will obey my special orders, perform all duties in a military manner. I will report violations of my special orders, emergencies, anything not covered in... Um, and then we had special ones for being, you know, combat infantry. Like if, if I'm, a, you know, like I was bound to to not disclose information, to not turn my buddies in, to try to escape at the ver- very first opportunity I had. I was bound by my oath to try to escape if I was ever captured. Um, what were some of the other ones? There was there was a bunch of other ones, right? And then there were the ones specific to the Screaming Eagles, to the Hundred First, you know, Rendezvous with Destiny. I was in the uh, strike brigade. So we, you know, there was, um, we had our core values and principles too about integrity. Back to, let's go to a specific mission. Well, here, but he, but he, but here's what you need to know is that like those general orders applied to every single mission. Got it. Period across the board. Then specific missions could have like another set of, you know, guiding a, another plan. Right. But it was always very, you know, for me, I was infantry. So it was always about strategy and tactics. You know, what tactics, you know, what, first of all, what's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish here? What's it going to take to get it done? So for, you know, for instance, you know, Saudi Arabia, we, I got, I was a part of one of the, actually, I think it's still to this day, the biggest air assault mission in the history of the u.s military where the whole second brigade from the 502nd dropped in um near near kuwait we're trying to basically cut off the iraqis from from kuwait and so our objective was very clear like was to cut off supply lines provide security and you know and and not allow the iraqis to retreat very specific then from there you know we dove down into even more specific. How are we going to do that? What's my job going to be? But it was, there was, you know, a reassurance to it, which was, you know, all I had to do was follow orders. I didn't have to like them, but I had to follow orders. So here, I'm going to throw an addendum to the question then. Mm -hmm. Go for it. What was the impact to you? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, sometimes I didn't agree with the orders. There right? you go. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I didn't like them. Sometimes they scared me. Uh, sometimes they scared other guys around me, which then scared me. Yeah. Following orders meant like, you know, I mean, it was, I was a soldier. That was what I was there to do was follow orders. What I thought and how I felt about it did not matter. And in some regard that was, that served and was important because that stuff could get in the way of performing a mission and people could get hurt and killed. But on the other hand, it reduced me down to a soldier where I really 
eight, I like eight when I'm talking about eight, like integrated this idea that my feelings and my thoughts don't matter. They're not important. Right. That was one of the impacts of living a military life based on mission. And when I strayed away, when I decided to do what I wanted to do, right, or what I thought was better, there were consequences then too. People got hurt. I got hurt. I got in trouble. I was kind of, I ended up, if if it wasn't the army putting me into the box, I would put myself into the box. Got it. Thanks, Eric. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw this at you then, Lewis. So think about some personal mission or not personal mission, some missions that you were on in the Marines, your thoughts, feelings, beliefs, they don't matter. You're a good soldier. What was the impact on you? That was always a problem for me in the Marine Corps. Um, Because I was a rebel from the start. Still am. Um, <laughs> we had, we were doing a, um, well, we, we went on patrol every day. It was, we were a mobile infantry unit. Um, we got to an IED, which is, you know, it's a bomb on the side of the road, basically. And we knew it was an F bomb on the side of the road. It was, you know, the Iraqis were really, really crafty. But for some reason, they decided for this bomb, they're going to hide it under a bush, right? Well, when they went to disguise their bomb, they decided to put the roots up top and the bush down. So it was quite of a (laughs) guarantee that this is not a right situation. And um, our sergeant, like... You know, we got out of we got out of our LEVs and we knew it was a bomb. And he was like, You need to go check that. It's like, dude, I am not getting anywhere close to that thing. I know that's a bomb. I don't have to look at it and smell it and touch it. Like that's and then he took his gun out on us. Whoa. Yeah. He took his gun out on us and was like, This is what you're gonna do. If you don't like it, I'm gonna shoot you. I'm in charge. And that's for me when it got to where like, all right, that was definitely the bottom line for me. Like the Marine Corps is not for me. This is, this is not okay. This is not how you treat human beings, regardless if we're in a combat zone or not. Yeah. Damn. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for that. Hey, Juan. So how about you? Thoughts, feelings, beliefs, they don't matter. You're a soldier. What's what's the mission like for you being in the Air Force? Yeah, I uh, I I don't have any fun stories like Eric and Lewis's stories for sure. Um, as uh, as I was a, a personalist, I was uh, you know the right hand man to my commander. Um, so I was in charge of uh, a squadron full about of a hundred soldiers and. Uh, I was in charge of taking care of their documentation, their, you know, the life agency papers, or uh, if, ironically, if they had to go and take a drug test, I was the one that was notifying them. Um, and so for me, it was, the mission was, well, whatever my commander says, I need to go and do it, right? And so uh, I remember that there were several times that, you know, my name popped up and I'm like, oh, shit, I got to go take a drug test, right? And um and and so it was about following orders to whatever the commander you would say. And, um, yeah. And after hearing Lewis's story, it was just like, you know, sometimes it felt like they were putting a gun to your head because it was like, look, this is what, this is what we're telling you to do. And if you don't like it, like, you know, you're going to end up getting kicked out. And, and ironically it, it, it happened a way in, in a, in a, in a different way for me where, um, you know, I, I didn't get a gun put to my head, but I still got kicked out and I didn't feel like I got any support. Like it was about them and their mission and, and, uh, and who cares what, what we as individuals have, have to say or do. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, definitely a tough reality for us. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Juan. So just as 
we'll call it citizens, or I'll make it the word civilians of the United States, were taught in the United States this idea of individualism. So now you guys join the military, that individualism doesn't matter. It's gone. And any shred of individualism is taken from you so that you can serve the better good for the military, whatever their mission is, whatever their plan is. Yeah, thanks for bringing that to light. Now, back to the topic at hand, you guys are out. You're out of the military and we got to rejoin this civilian life, civilian identity, and the idea of a personal mission. Now, mission for me and and for, for my listeners, the idea of having an individual personal mission is something that I work with clients and all of the men's groups that I belong to. It's very important for personal growth work, I believe, to have a mission to follow to know if you're on track or not. So I'm going to start with, I want you three men to think about when you got out. I'm just guessing that you didn't have a personal mission right there handed to you. You didn't have it figured out. So there was some floating before you did find your way. I want you to, if you do have a mission, to share your mission. But I want you to dive into the story of what it's like to not have a mission in this transition place. Who wants to start out with? Oh, that? I don't mind starting that one. Cause for me, I, shit, I didn't have a mission until five years ago. Right. And I'm, thir- <laughs> I'm 38 years old. And uh, for almost 15 years, maybe a little bit more than that, I should, I was lost. I didn't, I, I didn't know what a mission was. Right. It wasn't until I, um, I, I actually decided to, my daughter was going to be born and and I'm like, well, what am I, what am I going to do for work? And what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And, and so I, I, that, that was what decided, what made me decide to go back to college and get an education. And, and, and I, and I, uh, I graduated in 2016 with my undergraduate degree in, in social work. And, um, and then I was working all these part-time jobs and it was like, well, you know, wh- what am I going to do next? And, and I got real lucky and, and and found uh, you know this this job with Youth Guidance. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that's been around for thirty plus years. Um, and uh, and then there was this this program called the BAM program, the Becoming a Man program. And 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 part of that the application process was well before you go on to this interview, check out this 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 website. It's called the Mankind Project. And and I'm like. All right, yeah, sure. And so I remember going on to it and it was talking about men and what is your mission? And I'm like, my mission? What's my mission? I'm like, shit, I don't have a mission, but like I, I need some help finding a mission. So so I remember when I went into the interview, it was probably one of the longest interviews I've ever had in my entire life. It was about an hour and forty five minute interview. I remember towards the end of the interview, it was like, So did you check out the this men's work page? And I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, what'd you think about it? I'm like, yeah. Like, would you go on a weekend? Yeah, of course. Like, I need that shit. Like, I I need help. I need help finding my mission. And please, and 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 so uh, through my job, thankfully, I was forced to go on this weekend, right? And I remember, I it, it was it was a a learning experience in itself, right? But it it introduced me to this this men's work, right? The the mankind project and and a brotherhood, right? And a and a brotherhood that I felt that I had in the Air Force, right? The reality was is that I, I really didn't, right? I, I, I thought that the brotherhood I had in the military it was nowhere close to the brotherhood that I have in the Mankind Project. And through the Mankind Project, um, I, I gained this, this love and support from all my brothers that has allowed me to, to live what my mission is. And my mission is to create a world of love and support by being an authentic leader and an agent for change. Um, and for me, specifically in this work that we do, it's well, how do I create that change, right? And and you men know that are in the project that this is a very dominant white man organization, right? And so as a Latino in this organization, it's like, well, my 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 agency for change is to make sure that these circles look more like me. And 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 how do I create spaces that men are diverse and men men are woke and men understand what their missions are in life and how can they live their missions? And so. Uh, I'm very grateful to this day 
Um, I know my wife is very grateful. Uh, we've been together 16 years and she's like, well, I wish you would have had this 15 years ago. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Right. I wish I would have had this. I wish I would have known about the mankind project the day I got kicked out of the air force. Right. Because, uh, I would have learned real quickly about what my true mission is in life and how I can, how I can live my life living through my mission. And so, uh, I'm very grateful for, uh, the mankind project because they've allowed me and the band program, right. Cause, uh, I love what I do and it, it allows me to live my mission. Mm. Thanks so much, Juan. I think that everybody can just feel your, the passion that you have. So thank you for that. Now might be a great time to mention the Mankind Project. Imagine a circle of men, a circle of brothers, where everyone listens not only to what you say, but also the truth beneath your words. Imagine a circle that will remind you of your commitments so that you can hold yourself accountable and keep you moving towards your aspirations and goals. Imagine a circle of men who will help you clarify your vision and provide tools for action and learning that lead you to the life that you want. Men who absolutely tell you the whole truth about where you are strong and where you sell yourself short. Imagine breaking free of limiting beliefs that sabotage you, having the powerful part of you called forth with a new set of beliefs. Imagine a circle where you can experience and develop a leader within you, a place that is safe to be who you really want to be. This is how the Mankind Project groups work. For more information, visit mankindproject.org. What about you other guys, Lewis, Eric, personal mission? Well, I think it's always been for, even when I was 18 years old, of joining the Marine Corps, it's like, all right, I get to have a really awesome uniform look at, chicks are going to love me, and I get to hold weapons. All right, that sounds like a gig I want to get on. Um, but ever since from that, uh, you know, being in the Marine Corps, it's, the jobs that I pursued afterwards, it was, you know, I did EMT, uh, massage therapist, personal trainer, kickboxing instructor. I always looked for some kind of purpose or a mission to help people. You know, it's either. And I remember being in Iraq and we did a raid at, I don't know, like three o'clock in the morning. And it's cold. It gets cold in Iraq. If people want to think that it doesn't, it, it gets cold. Like there was snow on our vehicles, like on a, almost a daily basis. Um, anyways, and we get these people out. We raid their house. We found nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we have them in the middle of the road, in the middle of the freezing night. And I go back into their house and I grab blankets. And I bring them out to them because, like, you know what? I was given these orders to come raid your house and we push you on the middle of the road in the freezing and cold. But I, as a person, I would know I would want someone to grab me a blanket for me to sit outside. You know, it's always that mission of, you know, like they say, it's like being kind costs nothing. Right. So feel free to spend it as much as you want. And that's always been my mission, just be kind and to hopefully be in a position that to lift somebody up. Thanks so much, Lewis. Well put, well put. So, Eric. Yeah, personal, my personal mission. Well, here, hold, you know, and I actually mentioned it when we checked in, but here I want to start with this because Lewis and both Juan, you guys got me thinking. Um. And, and Marines do have some badass uniforms. They do, man. Those dress blues, man, they were, those are sharp. You know, I, I will give you all that. Um, and yeah, it gets cold as hell in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and Iraq, man. We, I remember when, when I was there, the most rainfall that had ever been recorded in the region fell while we were there, man. I'm talking to like mud, cold, 
and then we had, you know, Saddam was blowing up the oil fields. So then the oil was ra- raining on us too. Um, but you know, your, your story reminded me when we were, we were on a mission outside of, I'm pretty sure it was, the, um, Viper base, which was like near Bahrain. It was at night and one of my guys on my squad like had had a breakdown and he just freaked out and he ran up on top of this sand dune basically and he had his machine gun and he's shooting it in the air I remember too his name was Kenneth and he was from Louisville and he was he was basically having a, a mental breakdown you know there was enemy out there and I remember my squad leader being like, just leave him. Mm. Just leave him. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not going to do that. Right. And so I ran up there and got him and pulled him down. And he got shot. He got shot in the knee. And um, and he almost shot me. Um, but I, you know, so this, the idea of the individualism you were talking about, Mike, that we all were talking about that you highlighted, there was like how that was kind of drilled out of us. And then, but there were also a lot of mixed messages, right? Coming from the military, like, Hey, we're just going to leave this guy on the Hill. Like, no, we're not going to do that. There's no way that's like against everything we learned. And then when I did it and I got in trouble for doing it. Right. So then at that point, I'm just like, now I'm building a case, right? Against them. Like, man, you all are not who you said you were. And maybe it's because I'm not who I said I am. I don't know. But there, all of those mixed messages led to even more confusion for me and being a young man, which then when I got out and had no mission, you know, I was, it was, I was drifting for a while. Right. So for me, what it looked like was bouncing around different jobs. Um, you know, I had part-time, you know, I was selling shoes and doing security and roofing. And, you know, then I came back to Chicago, I was working at the board of trade, you know, and that whole crowd. I mean, I got, I walked onto the floor and got a job in two seconds. Cause all I had to do was say I was a ex, a, you know, veteran army and, and those brokers, they were like, man, they were fighting over me. Um, but I remember starting at the city colleges and I was trying to decide if I should go to college and, and I was in the lobby at Harold Washington college and back, this is the payphone days. And I called my dad and I was like, dad, you know what? They got some classes here. I'm interested, you know, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And my dad just said, just sign up for a class. Right. So I, I didn't, have the internal compass yet to make that decision. I needed his guidance. And I think that's a pretty good illustration of how I still still didn't know like how to do this, how to do life, how to, where I was going. I needed support and I, I still need help today, right? I'm, I'm not saying that I got this all figured out, but it was just a couple years later that, you know, an important mentor in my life invited me to the new warrior training adventure. And that was in June of 1999. So I showed up there just a few years out of the army. And that on that weekend, I was given the opportunity to craft my own personal mission of service. And it was very much based on me pulling that guy down off the hill, just like Lewis, like, you know, I'm going to, I want to help and be of service to others. I want to help others heal. Not really knowing that I was really trying to heal myself. And what I know today is that a big part of um, you know, kind of my being both broken and healed is around a mission of service, which is really about today. It's about serving myself, serving my daughters, serving my community, you men and serving other veterans and helping them find a way. Damn. Thanks, Eric. And thanks for helping Kenneth down off that hill. So as the show winds down, you guys, I want you to have an opportunity to say some final thoughts, but this is how we're going to preface it. So to our listeners, 
who are listening. It's the week of Veterans Day. They get to hear your stories. We're talking about transitioning back to civilian life. And we've heard your three stories of things you did well and things that didn't work out so well. So can you leave the listeners with some final thoughts of not necessarily what the military should do, but what you might want to offer to the young men and women who are trying to transition back into civilian life themselves? What words would you have for them? We'll start with Juan. Thanks, Mike. That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, uh, I struggled, as I said in my story, that you know I felt alone, right? And I know that a lot of my my fellow veterans may feel the same way, right? Because it's a really really hard transition um, from from being a soldier into the civilian world, right? And so um, the advice that I give out to to the listeners is. Um, you know, there's no shame in asking for support. There's no shame in, um, in, in, in going through counseling or doing group work or, or find support groups like the Mankind Project or, you know, there, there's many out there, right? Um, uh, there was that little plug into the Mankind Project. But, you know, there, there's so many, so many support systems. I'm, I'm a huge advocate myself. You know, I've done therapy. I've, I've done individual therapy. I've done couples therapy with my wife. I've done group therapy. You know, I do group. I do. I do circles with my boys in, in high schools. You know, I, I coach girls sports teams as well, and and bring a lot of my, you know, my group work into into the coaching as well. And you know, it, it's it's about you know you know finding support systems where you feel you know supported. You feel love. You feel connection. Um, for me, it was feeling that brotherhood, right? It was the brotherhood that, that I, 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 I lost out on in the Air Force, right? Because when I was in it, I did have some brothers that, you know, brothers and sisters that, that I felt that connection with. And, and uh, obviously when I was, when I was uh, kicked out, I, I, I lost that support system. And so um, the, the biggest thing is being able to find support systems that work for you, right? And, and finding ways to, to, to find, um, that help, right? And, and and a lot of times there's there's shame in asking for help, right? And and if, if there's anything that it, that listeners can take away from from it that uh, that are veterans, that there's no shame in, in asking for support. There's no shame in and in, in, in looking for support systems and resources that are going to um, help guide you to to make you a better person. And so um, I'm very grateful for the brotherhoods that I'm a part of um, because they've given me the support that I've needed to to not only be a better father, but to be a better man, uh, to be a better husband, uh, to be a better, better brother, um, and, and, and just to be better all around. Um, so no shame in asking for support, find that support, um, and, and, and do what you need to do to be able to move forward in life. Thanks Juan. Final thoughts, Eric Lewis, what do you got? I would say the same thing for with Juan. It's, you know, you go through boot camp and you start to kind of get that kind of ego about yourself that like, I, I, I got it. I got the check in the box. I kicked ass. I took names. I got the title now. Um, I'm invincible. I'm fucking Superman now. Not the case. You need to always be humble have make sure there's always a humble pie in the refrigerator and knowing that there are just people out there are just waiting to help you to support you to care for you and never never use that title of like i was a marine i'm a badass or i was an army paratrooper it's forget that title it's always get grab that humble slice of pie and realize you might need help. You might need support. And it's there for you. It's waiting for you. Thanks, Lewis. Eric, final thoughts. Yeah, the 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 support is there. There's a network. There is a network of ex prior service military from all branches out there who are ready. They're just really like kind of uh 
chomping at the bit to help, right? They're just waiting for folks to get out. Um, and I think that's the same with employers. There's certainly military friendly employers. Um, there's a way to talk about myself, yourself, learn how to talk about your military experience in a way that translates well into a civilian world, whether it's professionally or even personally, some, sometimes even just personal talk is hard. Like it took me a while to even let go of the military jargon and lingo, right? Like to start talking civilian again. And and I would do that and thinking people understood, you know, what I was talking about, they didn't. And that, you know, that was frustrating and kind of, you know, put even more walls up and pushed, pushed me apart from other people. Um, but also I think you know, the idea of being willing to ask for help, getting into a transition programs, not just the ones when you're ETS in, which is getting out, the process of getting out, but do a transition program as a civilian, do multiple, do several. Don't be shy. Like, you know, for me, it took a while to, to circle back around and I had to go into the hospital um, for treatment a couple of times. And that's where I really realized, oh man, like there is, there actually is more here than I realized. And that's how I learned how to take advantage of some of this stuff. And that was useful for school and for mental health and group work. So to, to kind of drop the, um, you know, just kind of the, the, the tough guy pride around, like, I don't need help and, and asking the VA and then being really being patient and, and being insistent because the VA moves slow. And if they don't hear from me, they're fine with that, right? So you can kind of stay in front, be willing to stay in front of the line, put put yourself in front of the line, I think was is also a useful thing to know. And lastly is like get into some groups like where to start talking about feelings, like learn how to access those feelings that I know for me, I wasn't really very savvy with even before boot camp. And at boot camp, Man, they got put away. So find some help and how to unpack that stuff so you, so you can get on with living your life because feeling feelings and learning how to, ha- you know, have empathy and be vulnerable and, and, and all of that stuff is actually an important part of being a, a human, a civilian human. So get some help with it, right? And, and, and get on with living your life and, 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 um, finding a way to be, you know, the new best version of yourself as a civilian. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, this is, uh, I got some big takeaways myself and I, and I'm not transitioning at all. Thanks again so much, Juan, Eric Lewis, for being here. Part of our veterans day special. I really appreciate the time. And I know that the listeners are going to get some value out of this conversation. Thanks again. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Mike. It was an honor. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Embrace Growth. Please feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. That way, other people can find the show easier. Also, if you would like to subscribe, you won't miss out on any upcoming episodes. So please hit that subscribe button and we'll see you every week. New episodes of Embrace Growth appear on Mondays. That way you can start off your week in a good way by listening to some other stories of people and their personal growth. We're not alone in this, people. We're all doing our work together. Today's episode was brought to you by Leader Champions. Let me tell you a little bit about Leader Champions. Leader Champions is like you in the struggle with leadership, current leadership. When you think about leaders, what's the first thought that pops into your head? Because most of us don't think of leaders in a great light these days. We're trying to change the culture of leadership. So what does that mean? It means that we are building leaders to be more empathetic, more collaborative, 
We're building leaders to understand that they are responsible for those that they lead and that their job as leaders is to make sure the people that are following them have everything they need in order to do what they need to do. It's not about ordering people just to do what they want them to do. We have all kinds of inspiring trainings built around this style of leadership that supports leaders in this new way of leading that is healthier for our world moving forward. We have some trainings that are coming up on the calendar. We offer one-on-one coaching. We offer online group coaching. The one-on-one coaching is available online as well. There's personal growth work trainings, leadership trainings. It's all there. Please check out the website. Go ahead and email us for more information. Any of our coaches are available for a free consultation. You can talk to any of our coaches and we do a discovery call just to get to know you, find out what it is you're looking for. It doesn't cost you anything. Go ahead, check it out, leaderchampions.com. Next week on the podcast, we are talking about mindful design. Salvatore Manzi from Santa Cruz, California. If you're listening to this currently here in 2020, the pandemic's going on. A lot of people are working from home. Have you thought about what's going on at home if you're working from home and living at home and the kids are at home? And how can we design our lives to be in a more mindful, more health-centered way? That's all available next week on Embrace Growth. So until then, please take care of yourselves, do your own personal growth work, and support others in theirs. Take care. 